and I remember going down to the Central Line Bank Station in London and just walking along the platform slowly just sort of watching as the trains come in and just thinking I wonder which would be the best place to jump you know for impact Hey girlfriend, how are you doing? How's your week been? I just wanted to apologise because when I listen back to the recordings I can hear myself creaking about in my chair and that's because I'm sitting on a wooden chair with about 10 cushions on it just to try and help support my back. If you're listening to the podcast for the first time or perhaps you didn't even listen to the first episode I've got a spinal cord injury which happened just before the pandemic kicked in in February last year so I'm still adjusting to all of that and sitting down for any length of time particularly on a hard chair is not very comfortable so um, I am prone to fidgeting about and sometimes I do the fidgeting in the middle of speaking which means I'm not able to cleanse the creakiness of my chair out so um, please do forgive me and I also live next to a busy road well it's a fairly busy road but you can hear quite a bit of traffic because there's a bus route so yeah I mean I'm just trying to do the very best that I can from my living room with a spinal cord injury in a pandemic so thank you for your commitment to being here with me despite these less than perfect circumstances So something exciting over the last week, curl friend, and that is we managed to get our first thousand unique downloads. Yay, we got a thousand downloads now. That's unique downloads across the podcast. So thank you to each and every person that has downloaded it. Yeah, that really means the world to me. It's funny, isn't it? Because you have these little ideas in your head and then you put it out there and now it's a it's a real thing in the world and um, and you're listening to it. So hi friend, thank you. Yeah, so I'm just sending you loads and loads of um, love for being here with me. Something else exciting was one of the days last week, the stats just went through the roof and I have got no idea what caused it. But looking into them, I could see that we had like just a whole heap of hits coming in from India. So if you are over in India, I am sending you maximum love and respect. Hello, thank you for listening to the Curl Power podcast. Oh, did I even say, hi, I'm Zoe Fox, (laughs) and you're listening to the Curl Squad's Curl Power podcast. I got so excited to speak to you, I just went straight in for the kill. (laughs) So yes, back to India. I went to India, actually, I think it was about 10 years ago now, and I was out there for over a month in Chennai, and you know what, I just loved it such a magical majestical country yeah just magnificent had a fantastic time in India so big love to India and all of its beautiful people and you know what wherever you are in the world I'm sending love to you too and appreciation so thank you so yeah in the last episode I spoke a bit about when my boyfriend died back in 2002 when I was just 18 years old and I spoke about the impact that that had on my mental health And in this episode, I'm going to be talking to you about the years that followed that and the music that helped to keep me distracted from my pain. Jungle drum and bass. When I was a teenager and into my 20s, I was a proper raver. 
I first heard Jungle back in mid to early 90s. It was in my friend's big brother's bedroom and I'd go up there and he'd be in there with his friends and they'd be listening to tape packs and I'd be like, oh, this is cool. Just vibing out in the room like I was the kid in the room. But as soon as I was old enough to be able to go out raving, I say as soon as I was old enough, (laughs) before I was old enough to even um, legally be able to go out raving, I was out raving. Something about that music just felt like home for me. And I think a big part of that was the sort of reggae, ragga influence. It was just the vibe in the music, just something that I could move to, something that spoke to my soul and something that actually represented the diversity of my own family setup. My mum's black, Caribbean, my dad's white, British and jungle drum and bass music just brought people together in a way that just sort of felt natural and comfortable to me given my mixed race heritage. There's black people raving together, white people raving together and so many other different people in between and it was just the one place where you could go and none of that really mattered, as cliche as it sounds. It was just about being amongst people and just feeling this music and everybody just feeling this music in in their own unique way. So me and my best mate used to just be raving mad. We used to go raving every weekend, um, both nights if possible, three nights of the week if possible. If there was a rave on, like we were down for it. We used to go to a club called the Q Club back in Birmingham, which was just a legend of a venue. The way the bass line used to reverberate through the building, like you when you're standing outside in the queue waiting to get in and you can just feel that beeline, just you're just like, yes, with your friends, you finish work, whatever, you're looking forward to just going out and partying. And then my boyfriend died, so I was raving before then. In the last episode, um, I spoke about how I went up to Scotland to see family um, just after my boyfriend had died. And when I came back from Scotland, I had a ticket to go to a rave. I'd had this ticket for a while um, and it was purchased long before anything happened with my boyfriend. So I was coming back from Scotland and then it was like, well, I may as well, you know, go to this rave and my friends are going to be there and I'll just get to see my people. And yeah, it wasn't about going and having a good time by any stretch of the imagination, but it was like something to do other than sitting at home my mum and dad's just in my feelings so it was a night called hysteria and I remember going there and actually when I was in the rave I was just like what am I even doing in here this is just crazy but I remember just standing right at the front of the stage like leaning on the stage and just the bass line was just vibrating through my body and just for that time do you know what I mean just for that time I I was able to distract myself from the reality of what I was going through and and it just felt good before I'd then snap out of it and then be like what are you even doing here this is inappropriate you need to go home and yeah it was just a real battle a real battle in my mind but drum and bass went on to be something that really helped me to get through a lot of my pain and it really gave me a focus So going to work during the week and then at the weekends, just knowing that we were going to go out and we were just going to have the very best time possible. And if there weren't anything good going on in Birmingham, we'd be going to Milton Keynes or we'd be going to London. 
In fact, me and my best mate used to work and we'd take our suitcases filled with our like our raving gear and st- when I say raving gear, we're not in some sort of flamboyant like ensemble or anything, but it was just, you know, we'd have our clothes and stuff. So we'd have our fresh outfits, then we'd jump on a coach or a train after we'd finished work and just head straight down to London, go to the hotel, get fresh, listen to some tunes while we're getting ready, get in a cab, go to the rave, just have the time of our lives, hook up with all of our friends. And that is what we were living for. Like literally, that's what we lived for. Traveling around, we got to meet loads of different people. And some people that I met back in the day at these raves are like my very best friends still to this day. We went to Amsterdam, we went to Miami, we went to Spain, we went to Italy, all for the music, all for this music. It was just like a community, it was a whole vibe, it was something to look forward to. We used to go to so many raves that we'd always be getting shout out (laughs) by the MCs and, and, and you'd always hear our names on the tape packs, Hold Tight Zoe, Easy Colette and stuff like that. And in fact, we were tape pack famous because we were in Miami the once and we got shouted out. We were in a club and we got shouted out by one of the MCs and me and, me and my mate was like, wee. And, uh, <laughs> and this guy came over and he was like, oh my God, are you the Zoe and Colette from all the tape packs? And we were like, yeah, that's us. <laughs> This is all the way in Miami, you know, just some random guy like recognized us from the tape packs, but we loved it. It was just like, it was in our, it felt like it was in our DNA. Like we were just programmed for drum and bass. If we weren't raving, (laughs) I'd either be, yeah, I'd be at my best mate's house and we'd be up in her bedroom, listening to tape packs, reading magazines, talking nonstop about it. It was just, it was our life. I even went on to work at some of the country's biggest festivals and clubs, interviewing some of the scene's biggest artists for the official event DVDs. Um, And that was a lot of fun. And it was just like, it just came to be like a big family, you know, depending on what the rave was or where it was, you sort of have an idea of who was going to be there and we'd look forward to seeing each other. And it was all different people from all walks of life, all different races. And I don't know what, you know, everybody seemed to be escaping something, whether it's the monotony of the nine to five or suppressed traumas. None of it mattered when we were just out there in the rave. And raving just came to be the perfect distraction from my emotions. Not to say that they weren't there. They were, but that stopped me from really processing them and dealing with them. But I do remember like at that time I was easily irritable, I would say, yeah, possibly slightly aggressive at times, yeah. There was a sense that there was something bubbling under, you know, like a volcano that <laughs> that hasn't erupted, but there's a lot of volcanic activity going on underneath. So about five years after my boyfriend passed away, I finally just started to feel as though my heart could open up again. And for all of the years in between, I was just like, oh, yeah. I used to be offended if a man even looked in my direction because it felt so disrespectful to my boyfriend's memory. And when people say, oh, you got a man, and I'm like, 
yeah, I have. You know, I didn't really, I didn't go into details, but yeah, I hated being approached and stuff. But eventually, it got to a point where I started to feel as though I could open up a bit. And in doing so, in finally finding the strength to open up my heart, I met a couple of proper knobs that broke it again. Stupid boy. A waste of space, if you ask me. <laughs> Guys that didn't deserve, um, didn't deserve an ounce of my time, but taught me many valuable lessons. Uh, but yeah, we'll get more into that in another episode. But yeah, so after all of the years alone, I went against my gut and ended up in a very toxic relationship. He was a very insecure guy. He would speak badly of my friends and sort of like make judgments about them for always being out raving and stuff like that and trying to make out like they were just groupies, essentially that I was as well because I was part of their group. He was just the sort of character that started to grind me down subtly with little snarky comments like that you know so and all I wanted to do was sort of make him happy and keep him happy so it got to a point where I was starting to withdraw a bit from my friends withdraw from the music stopped going out raving was always finding excuses um why I wouldn't be going out he essentially isolated me from my safety net and from my friends and he abused me psychologically he broke me down he left me in thousands of pounds worth of debt he left me broken and I did a really really good job of hiding that from everybody around me as well and at the same time as all that was going on my granddad passed away very suddenly and me and my granddad were just so close and it was so heartbreaking so I had all of this stuff going on unresolved trauma from my boyfriend dying um, I found myself in this emotionally abusive relationship. I'd just been made redundant. It was just like all of this stuff going on. And I started suffering from really significant anxiety and depression. And because now I wasn't going out, I didn't have the distraction. I wasn't doing anything at the weekends. So I had a lot of time to just get into my feelings. And because of the relationship, that was causing me a lot of anxiety um, because of his erratic behaviour. And I just felt really, really fragile. Yeah, I was really fragile. And I didn't really have a clue as to what was going on in my head. Like I wasn't aware of the anxiety and stuff. I was just so in it at this point that I couldn't see from the outside looking in what was going on. So I did manage to get another job. Yeah, so I just found myself in a situation where I was in this relationship with this guy where he left me feeling very vulnerable. And I was really struggling at work. I was working in the city at the time, um, in the banking industry, and they just didn't get it at all. They couldn't see that I was going through a total emotional breakdown. They just thought I was useless. Like my immune system was so shot at this point because of I was in such a heightened state of anxiety all the time. My immune system was ruined. I was getting tonsillitis three or four times a year. I was getting a cold every other week. It was a joke, like my body was just kicking and screaming at me that it was not happy, that I was manifesting this stress within my body. I had this constant constricted breathing because I was just in this, this eternal state of heightened anxiety where I just felt like I couldn't take a deep enough breath, do you know what I mean? It was just like constantly trying to, trying to take deep breaths and 
I was getting on the tube to go to work and having panic attacks, having panic attacks at work. I was just a mess. I was just an absolute mess. And I became really agoraphobic as well. If I didn't have to leave my house, I wouldn't. And if I did leave my house, then I was really planning my routes, like obsessively planning my routes. And I'd check it and check it again. So I'd plan my route on TFL and I'd, plan it, I'd, I'd check it on Journey Planner. And I just got really obsessed about the routes where I was going to stand. And then if I got to the tube station and someone was standing where where I planned to stand, then it would throw me off. And then my anxiety would just be heightened and, you know, sweaty palms and racing pulse. And yeah, there was a few times when I was on the tube convinced that I was having a heart attack. That was a bit of a legacy issue off the back of my boyfriend dying suddenly like that. I was actually diagnosed with post-traumatic stress syndrome by my doctor and he was making sure that I was going to see him every week because he was so concerned about my mental health at that point. And it got to the point where I just couldn't see a reason to want to keep going. Like my future just looked and felt so bleak. I just couldn't see anything positive. There was no light at the end of the tunnel. And I remember finishing work on many occasions and going down to the central line because that was the um, at bank station in London and just walking along the platform slowly just sort of watching as the trains come in and just thinking I wonder which would be the best place to jump you know for impact and calculating all of that in my head because I just needed to escape and when you work in London you know you hear quite frequently there's a person under the train. In fact, one day, my best friend and I were on our way to a rave and we were at the tube station and there was this guy down there. We were living in Birmingham at the time, so it didn't even really occur to me that jumping under a train was a thing. When the guy came to the front of the tube platform and then started to get down into the pit, me and my best mate were like, what? And then the tube started coming, so like we were like, come on, come on, come on. Luckily, we were able to get him out of there before the tube came. Um, and then we got on the next tube, so I don't even know what happened to him after that. So, yeah, when you when you work in London and you're getting on the tubes regularly, you, you hear more of these instances of, you know, there are delays because there's a person under the train and stuff. So it just sort of brought that into my awareness as a possibility to bringing an end to it. And I used to get quite obsessed in my head when I heard that there's a person under a train just thinking... I wonder what they're I wonder what they were going through that led them to that. But the one thing that always kept me going through all of it is the love for my family. My love for my family has been the thing that's just which I'm so blessed to have and I know not everybody is which makes pulling through even more difficult. But yes, yeah, so I'm very very grateful to have my family and it was always holding them in mind whenever I was sort of entertaining these thoughts that would prevent me from ever really doing anything like that. But that was just like, that was just the sign of how desperate I was and how bleak my life felt. So it's like the music was a coping mechanism for me. And when that got taken away, I was sort of left to face my demons. And it's easy to distract ourselves from facing our suppressed traumas and our past troubles. There's always something to keep our attention. But what happens when that something stops? 
because the truth is the feelings never really go away they're there aren't they they're bubbling under the surface manifesting themselves in different ways whether that's behavior whether that's your health your mental health now i'm lucky because i was able to get out of that relationship and quite swiftly actually after the end of that hell in came my husband into my arena of awareness and it was actually getting together with him that just gave me that safety and security that I'd needed all that time to be able to just start to break things down, to be able to start to process the trauma. Yeah, just to be able to exhale. He provided me with the safety and the comfort that I needed to just exhale and to start doing the work. So yeah, you know, the circumstances do need to be right for you to heal. But I do believe there are definitely things that you can do to help to aid your healing journey. And the first thing is, is getting a sense of awareness around what's going on. And I think taking the time to reflect on your day. And that's why I'm a big fan of journaling. Because over the years I've had lots of counselling. I've done lots of work on personal development. And there's a few things that you learn that just stick and things that work for you and everybody's different so different things are going to work differently for different people but for me to be able to just write down what I'm feeling on a bit of paper because sometimes I might be feeling so totally overwhelmed and upset and not really know what it's about I could be sitting in those feelings and think you know what let me just get my journal and just write and sometimes all I need to write is literally that I'm feeling a little bit low and overwhelmed today and sometimes that can be enough to dissipate that feeling you just need to get it out. So yeah, I do love a journal. And then there's other days when I'll just write and write and write and write. But it definitely helps me to get things out of my head and onto paper. So what are your coping mechanisms? What do you do to help you deal with the things that life throws at you? Perhaps you might need to implement some coping mechanisms to help you work through some of the stresses of life. Perhaps you might want to try journaling one day over the next week and if it's not something that you're used to doing and just see how that feels. But yeah, I'd just say don't overthink it. Take out a pen and a bit of paper. Put the pen to paper. Voila, see what happens. Yeah, so shout out to Colette, to Naomi, Nev, Tyra, Tylee, Susie, Terry, Kira, Sandy and all of my Jungle Drum and Bass family. My younger brother is also a really talented um, drum and bass artist, DJ producer as well and being able to explore the music with him and going out and having good times together really helped to strengthen and deepen our relationship and has made it what it is today. I want to shout out to my mentor, Crust, who is an OG in the scene. And his knowledge and wisdom has just helped to keep me pushing my creativity and working through my limiting beliefs over the last year. And to my greatest blessing of all, thank you to the music for aligning me with my beautiful husband, Kane. And it's our anniversary next week, so there will be definitely more to come on him. But falling in love with him introduced me to a love that, you know what, I always knew was possible. It's just some of the toe rags. Toe rag, you know. Filthy little toe rags. Filthy piece of toe rag. Some of, the, some of the toe rags I met along the way just, yeah, killed my belief. 
But it's true, it exists. He's there, it's Kane, and he's down the shops right now. Bless him. But yeah, king of my world, so I've got to thank the music for him. I've got to thank the music for my daughter, because she is the most magnificent manifestation <laughs> of the music that I've ever met. My little blessing. And I actually got to rave with her for the very first time the other day. She was on the bed. I stood and I held her hands while she bounced around to some music that Kane was playing. And uh, that was a real special feeling. So big love to my baby girl. So thank you for listening to this episode of the Curl Squad's Curl Power Podcast. If you are an Apple device user, please feel free to go ahead and rate and review the show, preferably with five stars. You know what, it's this sort of thing actually that helps the show to be more visible. And in fact, did you know that the first eight weeks after launch of a podcast are the most important in terms of being able to make it into like Apple's new and noteworthy? So if you're just a small little podcaster like me, you haven't got much chance because a lot of the people in new and noteworthy have already got quite big audiences. So yeah, it just means the reviews that we do get are super important and deeply, deeply appreciated. So come along and find us over on the socials, won't you? You can find us at The Curl Squad on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. If you wanted to come and say hello to me on my personal account, which is pretty dry, I'll be honest, um, you can find me at zoe.e.fox and you know what just slide into my dms now let me know what's resonating with you i'd love to hear from you i'm slowly getting used to the fact that podcasting is a medium which you don't get direct engagement really apart from the odd few people who sort of like yeah who do slide into your dms but please do holler on instagram and uh, let me see your face if i've got your ear then let me see your face that would be great. Oh, and you can also sign up to our mailing list, which is over at uh, thecurlsquad.com. I won't take up any more of your precious time. I'm wishing you a fantastic week ahead, wherever you are in the world, curl friend. And I'll see you the same time next week. Big love till then. Peace out. <laughs>